Jesus, as we come to worship you, we've also come to pray. We've come to ask you, God, to, to intervene, Lord, in our lives. We need you so much, God. We, we, we are, some of us are on the wrong path, and sometimes without knowing it, we go off too, Lord. God, our, our hearts are prone to get hard, Lord. We pray that you would soften us, Lord, today. And God, as we also come, not just in worship and prayer, but we also come to seek you in your word. And so, Lord, I pray for the Spirit of God to work through the word of God to change the people of God into the very image of Jesus Christ. So we ask for your anointing, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I read about this man who dropped out of high school. He was struggling to make ends meet uh, in his life. Went later in life as he got older. Well, when in 1919 he was fired from his animation job at a newspaper saying that he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Well, he went on to start his own animation company, but... That failed too. He, he took over another one. That failed too. He started another one. The third try, his producers and the company people stole his rights and stole his animation character. But then, against all odds, he created a new character called Mickey Mouse. This person is none other than, than Walt Disney. Did you know that 300 banks turned him down when they saw the mouse? Some said, the mouse on a big screen would scare women. <laughs> it's not going to work. But that didn't happen, right? And we know history now. We know today what Disney has produced and what it is now as a company. Another man, let me tell you about, uh, that I read about, he applied to the cinematic school at USC, but was rejected three times because he was, quote-unquote, an average C-grade kind of person. So he ended up going to Cal State Long Beach and majored in English. But against all odds, he found an intern position at Universal Studios where he made a short film called Amblin, which caught the attention of the studio vice president. And then this man was given a seven-year contract with Universal Studios, which made him the youngest director ever signed for a long-term deal with a major Hollywood studio. Can you guess who this was? Steven Spielberg. The gross amount of all Spielberg's directed films is said to exceed $8.5 billion worldwide. One more. There was a time in the life of this woman where she was diagnosed with clinical depression and contemplated suicide. Her marriage had failed. She was jobless with a dependent child. And even with government aid, she could not afford to support herself and her daughter. Her economic status was described as this, I quote, poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. In 1990, while she was on a four-hour delayed train trip from Manchester to London, she got an idea for a story, and she started to write it. In 1995, she finished a manuscript of her first book on an old manual typewriter. Can you imagine that? Twelve different published companies rejected her. One told her, get a day job for there's little chance of you making money from writing children's books. But against all odds, when the book was finally published, she went on to be UK's best-selling living author with an estimated fortune of £560 million. 
pounds. She is ranked as the 12th richest woman in the UK. Who is she? Her name is J.K. Rowling, the creator of the Harry Potter series. Amazing. Amazing to me how against all odds these guys persevere when things seem so impossible. I love how they continue to, to not just persevere but pursue what their dreams are, pursue what their goals are, no matter what the obstacles are. But for believers, you know what? These kinds of situations, this is the realm where you and I should live in, the realm of the impossible. For you know what? This is where God works, and this is where we see faith come alive. One of my favorite quotes is from George Mueller, and, it, and he said this, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Isn't that good? Well, as we continue in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews, we look into the faith of Joshua and the people of Israel and also the faith of Rahab, the prostitute. Now, they all faced situations that was against all odds. And that's the title of our message this morning, Against All Odds. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 11, just two verses this morning, verse 30 and 31. And with those two verses, we have two headings in our outline. Against All Odds, number one, the persevering faith, and number two, the pursuing faith. So let's begin, number one, The persevering faith. The persevering faith. Take a look with me here. Against all odds, we see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. We're going to stop right there. This is our first section now. We're going to look deep into this. Now we begin with the words, by faith. And again, we see the writer introducing another Old Testament character with these words as an example of the kind of faith that he's been writing about. And as I've been saying each time in our messages here, in our series here in chapter 11, remember now in verse 1, Faith is defined, and you can look up there, faith is defined as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And remember, substance means the solid confidence, and evidence means the strong conviction. So the faith that is spoken of here is that what? Unshakable confidence and conviction in God and His Word. So it was this kind of faith that we see in our next example. Now, remember here in Hebrews chapter 11 is this list, this hall of faith, right? Is this list of the heroes of faith. And this unshakable faith was seen, right? In verse 4 and 5, we saw how Abel and Enoch gave honor and respect to God in, in, in their worship and in their walk. In verse 7, we saw this kind of faith when Noah built the ark in his obedience, when God told him to do that. And he, he did it, even though there was no ever rain or flood ever happened. In verses 8 through 19, we saw Abraham. He kept to that eternal perspective. In verses 20 to 22, we saw Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They saw God's providence at work, and that was how we saw their unshakable faith. And then last time, you remember, in verse 23 through 29, we saw how the parents of Moses, Moses himself, and the people of Israel all took that choice of faith. They chose to believe. You remember that. 
Now, if you missed any of these, you can grab the CDs and you can kind of catch up or look online and see what we have posted there. Now, as we continue here in verse 30, the writer, he brings up how Joshua and the people of Israel dealt with a major obstacle right before them. And they dealt with it with this unshakable faith. So, that's why we see here in verse 30, by faith. By faith what? The walls of Jericho now, verse 30, they fell down. See, before them was this wall of Jericho. As Israel entered into the promised land, the first city to conquer was Jericho. But its walls were impenetrable. Now understand, Jericho was the most fortified city in the land of Canaan. Now, what's interesting to me is that in our men's fellowship this year, we've been going through some of these heroes of faith, and we happen to follow on this now on our Sunday morning studies. And, and so we talked about Joshua. Well, in, on Wednesday night, we've been studying the book of Joshua, and we studied all this. And, and now this morning, we're going to be looking at it again. But you know what? I believe God is calling to us. God is reminding us. God is speaking to us that, look, Listen up. I'm, I'm repeating myself. I'm telling you again because I want you to have this unshakable faith. So as we get into this passage, understand Jericho was, was this impenetrable city. It was, it was the most fortified city in the land of Canaan. Now, the city of Jericho was about eight and a half acres in total area. There's maybe about 12,000, 13,000 people there. It was not that big, but it had this incredible wall. And I would say walls, not just one, but two walls. And we're going to post a picture up on the screen right now. That is sort of a, a cutaway of what it looked like. The city was protected not just by one, you see, but two walls. The first wall had a retaining wall, about 12 to 15 feet high. Then there was another wall, 20 to 26 feet high, about 6 feet uh, thick on top of that. And then the second wall was up the embankment, being another 20 to 26 feet high. So from the bottom, you can see the little Israelites marching there. They would look up and see these walls actually go up to like 46 feet above the ground level. So you can imagine, hey, Lord, you sure? This victory looks impossible. This is a huge obstacle in front of us. But we see here now, back in Hebrews, verse 30, it says, By faith, Joshua and Israel saw the impenetrable walls of Jericho. What? They fell down. They came down. For you know what? What was impossible was made possible because of the Lord. And that's what I want you to think of here. You see, Joshua and Israel put their faith in their God who could do the impossible. Now, it was only like about one, to, well, one, one week when they got instructions, but two weeks when the wall fell down. Just two weeks before the fall of Jericho in Joshua 3, God had the Israelites go into the promised land of Canaan by crossing the Jordan River on dry land. If you remember the story, as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water, as soon as their feet touched the water, the, the, the waters parted, the river parted. The raging river at flood stage parted, the ground was made dry instantly, and Israel crossed over into the promised land. That was a miracle of impossible doing. So now they face another impossible obstacle and by faith joshua and israel saw god do another impossible work so 
first of all, I want to make this point. This first point is God did the impossible when the impenetrable walls of Jericho came down. I'll say that again because I want to put this in your mind. God did the impossible when the impenetrable uh, uh, God did impossible and impenetrable walls of Jericho came down. You know what Jesus said in Luke eighteen twenty seven: The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So this first thought that these impenetrable walls fell down, should you know what right now, boost our faith. It should bring our minds to think bigger, to expect more, to look higher. To, to actually believe that God could do something that we think is so impossible. You know, I was reading about years ago as a joke, newly hired engineers in the lamp division of General Electric were assigned the impossible task of frosting bulbs on the inside. Though it seemed like an unreachable goal, a determined newcomer named Marvin Pipkin not only found a way to frost bulbs on the inside, but developed an etching acid that strengthened each bulb and not weakened it, as all the engineers thought that would never work. Well, he made it happen. And it's, it's a good thing no one told him it couldn't be done, because in his mind, he had to find a way, and he did it. And I like that. Perhaps in your mind are things that are only attainable. Maybe that's the only things in your mind. The unattainable things, oh, we can't do this, so you throw them out of your mind. But God is asking us to clear away those limited thoughts and see here in verse 30, this first point, God did the impossible when the impenetrable walls of Jericho came down. It is possible, you know, to bring down your walls of Jericho standing in front of you. It is. What kind of walls stand before you? Is there a wall between maybe your teenage daughter and you? Is there an impossible-looking wall standing in your marriage? Perhaps the enemy has put up this impossible, impenetrable wall of financial debt, and you think, I don't know if I ever get out. Is there a wall of frustration and discouragement, and you feel like your life is, ah, I don't want to even try Or perhaps you feel your walk with the Lord has run into a Jericho wall. Listen, God wants to bring down your wall of Jericho and give you possession of the promised land today, you guys. But you have to believe that he can. It starts with believing that God is the God of the impossible and he works in this realm of impossible. A.W. Tozer said this, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. Oh, I'll tell you what, I want to be one of those guys that God is looking for. God, pick me. I want to believe. I want to look higher. I want to, I want to look at more of what you can do, not what I think I can do. Well, how did this all come about, the walls of Jericho falling down? Well, look at verse 30 once again. It was um, after the walls of Jericho were encircled for seven days. So the Israelites marched around the city of Jericho for seven days. Now, the idea is that God brought the walls down after there was this march around the city. Now, I want you to look at this with your own eyes. So turn over into the Old Testament to Joshua chapter 6. 
Joshua chapter 6, and we're going to look at a number of verses here. So we're going to camp out in Joshua 6 for a while here. Joshua chapter 6 in the Old Testament. And here we're going to see what the writer is talking about. And so the Lord gives these instructions to Israel of what he wants them to do to bring down these walls. Now, these are interesting instructions, and you guys know the story probably, but look at verse 3. Beginning in verse 3, the Lord is giving these instructions. Joshua 6, verse 3, it says, You shall march around the city, all you men of war, you shall go all around the city once, this you shall do six days. Verse 4, And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, but the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. So once the walls come down, the, 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 the soldiers could go in and take the cities. But what a strange plan here. What a strange parade God is putting together. It was made up now, what he talked, the Lord talked about, a squad of soldiers in front, and then followed by seven priests holding this trumpet or the shofar, the ram's horn. And then after that came the, the, the priests, more priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and in the rear was another uh, uh, squad of soldiers, and it's mentioned there in verse 9. Now, this strange parade was to circle the city once a day for six days with the priests blowing those rams' horns. But on the seventh day, when it came to the seventh day, they are to march around the city seven times, and then the priests will blow a long blast of the horn, and everyone is to shout, and just by all that, the walls of the city will fall down flat and then Israel could go in and take the city. Now, I have to say, this makes no sense at all. There's no logic here to God's plan. But this is God's plan. This is the instructions He's giving Israel. It makes no sense. I mean, having soldiers just march around the city, what's military strategy? Military strategy, 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 there you go, I got it, is to surround the see, God can do the impossible. Military strategy is to surround the city, cut off supplies, put up ladders, climb the walls, and fight them, right? But just march? Just having this, these squads of soldiers to march? I mean, another thing doesn't make sense is having priests there too. That's not normal. Putting priests into battle. Priests don't go to war. They weren't really allowed. And then having the ark there, that is so dangerous. You remember that Israel lost the ark when the Philistines grabbed it in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And then what? March only once for six days? What's that going to really accomplish? Well, well, they're marching like shake the walls or something? I, I don't think so. And then march again on the seventh day. Now think about that for a moment. They march six days once, but on the seventh day, they're going to march seven times. But march on the seventh day? What about the Sabbath day? Isn't this going against what God had commanded to do work? I mean, if they started right on first day of week, then it was on the Sabbath. They did even more work by marching around seven times around the city. What's going on here? It doesn't make sense. Why did God instruct Joshua and the people with such a strange strategy? You know why? To destroy pride and to destroy self 
reliance. You see, this was the first city that the Lord wanted them to take. And he wanted to establish something with the people of Israel. He wanted to establish and teach the people from the beginning that the battle is not yours, but God's. Second Chronicles 20.15 says. He wanted to show them that he is the one that is going to give them victory. And he made such a ridiculous, uh, irrational, uh, make-no-sense strategy so they would know one thing, that it was God who did it. There's no logic in this plan. So they can't say it was, it was our military strength, right? It was the strategy we used, right? They can't even say that it was the rituals that they were following that God commanded them to do because they did this on the Sabbath. You know what? The only thing they can do is have faith. Have faith. There was another thing God added in the instructions. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. God added this. Now Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall, not shout, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word be, proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. So one more thing he tells them. There's no talking, no noise, no comments, only the priests blowing the shofars. So what they do? Well, in faith, they did all that what God said. So look at verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. So he got the whole army and everybody in. And the strange prey went around. And they went around once, and then, then they came back. What a, what a strange thing. They say it might have taken maybe 30 minutes. Some commentators maybe say about an hour to just march around this city. Imagine going out. We're going out to war, honey. I'll be back. They come back in an hour. Hey, Dad, how was the fight? Oh, it's okay. What'd you do? We just marched around the city. What? What? So they did that. First day. Verse 12. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew at the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day, verse 14, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. That was it. March around once every day for six days. That was it. I mean, can you imagine what might be going on in these Israelites, the soldiers there? Can you imagine? Maybe, perhaps, you know, maybe one or two. Perhaps they're thinking, this is not how you take a city. I mean, is this what we train for? No one has done this before. Is this really going to work? I mean, can you? I was thinking if I was there, I would be thinking, what if they shoot at us? You know, God, and we're supposed to still stay in this train, you know, in this parade? Oh, I don't know. You know, what if they come out and attack us? What do we do then? You know, blow the horn whoo, in their face or something, right? Maybe, I, I always thought of this, perhaps the s- soldiers of Jericho were on the wall. Perhaps they began to mock them. I mean, maybe, you, you know, we know that uh, from uh, chapter, uh, the earlier chapter, we're going to see that, that the people of Canaan were in fear. And so when Israel came, everything was locked down and, and Jericho but perhaps after the first day, the second day, perhaps the soldiers are on the wall starting to relax and they're like, what are they doing? Perhaps they started to mock them. Perhaps from the wall they're yelling, is that all you can do? Is this the army that we feared? <laughs> you think marching around the city is really going to do something? 
Maybe they started singing that Veggie Tale song. Keep walking, but you won't knock down the wall. Keep walking, but she isn't gonna fall. It's plain to see your brains are very small. To think walking will be knocking down the wall. <laughs> Veggie Tales. But I'll tell you, God was testing their faith here. All this was really a test of the people marching, the priests, the soldiers, and the people of Israel and Joshua. This was really a test. And, and let, me, let me mention these things. First of all, it was a test of faith, right? They were doing the same thing for seven days, doing nothing else. And they were doing the same things that God wanted them to do and obey. They were doing these same things and nothing was going on. Could you imagine maybe some of them starting to feel like, I don't know. What is this accomplishing? I I don't know. I mean, would you have given up maybe on the sixth day? Said, I'm over this. Yeah. Secondly, it was a test of self-control. Being silent despite maybe the mocking going on from the Jericho soldiers. Maybe uh, it's a test of self-control where you're trusting in the instructions from God and not being critical about it, but staying quiet. They went six days saying nothing around here. You know, some of us don't even last six minutes, right? Thirdly, it was a test of patience, right? Nothing happening, feeling like, you know, maybe some of them felt like, well, I got to do something. You ever feel like that? Nothing's going on, and it's like, you know, inside of you, it's like, oh, you just get up. You got to get, you got to get something done here. Think about how they felt there. Maybe being tempted to take matters into their own hands. But you see, all of this was a test of their obedience to God's instructions. Will they keep to the faith? Will they stay self-controlled? Will they patiently obey or will they give up before that final day? What did they do? Well, you know it. They kept the faith. They had unshakable faith. And look at verse 15, Joshua 6, verse 15. It says, But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early, about the dawning of the day, and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. Then skip down to verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. So you see, the victory of Jericho was not Joshua's military strategy or the strength of the Israelites. No, it was because Israel faithfully obeyed all the way to the end. They did not stop doing what God said, not on the second, third, or fourth, or even sixth day. But they trusted God, what God said and followed through against all odds and then god brought the city down you see this is persevering faith our heading this is when you persevere in obedience that's what it's really talking about it's not about like oh i believe i believe i believe no it's doing what god wants you to do and persevering in that in faith knowing that whatever god told you to do is what god wants you to do and what god wants you to do will bring that victory and that's this, this was their unshakable faith.
Donald K. Campbell said this, Victory came because he and the people fully trusted God and obeyed his commands. Which brings us to our second point here. Faith is seen in Israel's enduring obedience to the seemingly illogical instructions of God. Faith is seen in Israel's enduring obedience to the seemingly illogical instructions of God. That's the faith that brought Israel to see the walls come down. No matter if it made sense or not, they did exactly what God wanted. And you know what? That's how the impossible was made possible. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes, you know, when something doesn't make sense and God's telling me, you know, I won't do it, yeah? I don't know about you, but sometimes, you, you know, God tells me, God, I, I don't know. And then what do I do? First thing, God, I'm not sure about this. And I just start complaining. And then sometimes I'll, re- I'll just reject it totally. And I go against what he wants me to do. But let me put this in your mind again. Remember, since God works in the realm of impossible many times his instructions will look crazy many times he'll have you do things that you might think or feel you know you might not feel comfortable about doing those right sometimes there's those things oh i don't know oh i'm not sure and you reject that but then many times will he'll have you do things that you might not feel comfortable doing but the important things is not to try and figure out how it works or how comfortable or not you will be, but to only obey and trust God and not give up too soon. You know, I was thinking about how the doctor will prescribe like a run of antibiotics, right? I, I remember I, I had a run one time. I had a, 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 a bottle, and there were, there were big, big pills in a big bottle, and I was like, ah. So I took them, you know, sometimes they're hard to swallow, and I'm supposed to take all of them. But when I started to feel better, what I do? I stopped. Yeah, it was inconvenient. It was uncomfortable. I didn't like swallowing that big horse pill, right? You know, and everything. Ah, I feel better. I, I turned out okay, but sometimes when you don't follow through to the end, what happens? You get sick again, right? You didn't totally wipe out that bacteria that was causing your sickness. Well, that's kind of like we see here. If Israel stopped early in their march, if they felt uncomfortable from all the, all the taunting and if they felt funny, shame, walking around, if they stopped early in their march, you know what? They would not have seen the victory. And they would not have experienced the miracle of the wall falling down. So it is important to obey God exactly and fully. Think about this. In the Bible, someone didn't didn't it didn't make sense to them what god wanted them to do you remember when naaman the syrian commander contract contracted leprosy he went to elisha the prophet to be healed in second kings 5 well when he went to elisha elisha sent his messenger to tell him hey wash in the jordan seven times and then you'll be healed naaman got super angry he goes what bathe in the jordan there's there's so many other rivers that are more clean the jordan's all brown and dirty there's no rationale here. Nathan said, you know, I thought Elisha would come out to me, wave his hand over me, and then I would miraculously heal of the leprosy. But Elisha, he sends his servant to me, tells me to go wash in, in the Jordan. It doesn't make sense to me. 
Why? Because he expected God, God to do it the way he thought. But we know eventually he did do what Elisha said, and you know what? God healed him. Remember when Jesus told Peter to go, to go out and go fishing again? Peter was like, Lord, um, you know what? We already all fished all night. We caught nothing, you know? I'm not sure about this, Lord. But at your word, we'll go out. Peter, to Peter, that didn't make sense. You know, Peter's like, you know, like when you tell your kids, no, go try again. Well, I already did it, Dad. You know, kind of, it doesn't make sense. I already did it, but all right, I'm going to obey you anyway. It doesn't make sense, but I'll obey you. And what happened? They went out, right, to the deep and caught so much fish, they called for help to haul the fish in. I like Peter. It didn't make any sense, but Peter did it anyway. And that's what God wants us to do, you guys. That's what God is calling you to do. Is, is God instructing you to do something? Maybe you feel in your heart that uh, you feel a little bit every time you read the bulletin, there's an announcement, oh, we need help in Keiki Church. You're like, oh, I don't know. Oh, but there's something in your heart. You know, every time you hear that, you, you feel something. And you're like, oh. But what's holding you back is, oh, I, I'm not sure what that's like. Or maybe you're feeling like, oh, I, I don't know about working with those little snotty face, you know, Hanabara kids, you know. No, no, but maybe you, you have some resistance. Maybe, maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe it's not convenient for you. Oh, I don't know. I know they said once a month, but I don't know, you know. But every time you hear it, you, you feel this little pull on you. Tell you what, that's the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit calling. Maybe... God's calling you to some other ministry or serving somewhere else. Or maybe coming to a prayer meeting or coming to Wednesday night. Maybe God's been pulling on your heart. You're like, I don't know, right? God is calling you. Maybe it doesn't make sense to you. How am I going to fit this into what I do? But God's saying, make a priority. Do it. I'll work it out. I don't know. I, I know. It doesn't make sense, God. Remember this, though. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, the Lord said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my way, my, your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Remember that. Has God given you maybe a strategy that seems irrational, a plan that doesn't make sense? Just remember his plan that didn't make sense that we're reading here in Joshua, it brought down the wall of Jericho. Well, let's go on to number two. You can go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Number two in our heading is the pursuing faith. Against all odds in the wall of Jericho, we saw the persevering faith, and now we see next in verse 31, the pursuing faith. Hebrews eleven thirty-one. It says, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Now here the writer brings up how by faith, that unshakable faith, Rahab, who was a harlot, a Gentile prostitute who lived in Jericho, well, she did not perish. She did not die when the walls came down with the other people in Jericho who did not believe. Interesting, the word not believe here is the Greek word op which means to not allow yourself to be persuaded. Interesting. To disobey or disbelieve. 
Now, that was the other people in Jericho, and that's why they perished. But not Rahab. Not Rahab. With her faith, yeah, she believed. She had this unshakable faith in God. And, be, and with that faith, it was clearly seen when it says in this verse, she received the spies, that, and that's the Israeli spies, in peace. In other words, she welcomed the spies and did no harm to them, but protected them, hid them when the king of Jericho sent guards to look for them. What we see is Rahab's faith was real. It was the real deal, you guys. Now, there's three things I'd like you to see about Rahab here. First of all, Rahab believed in the one true God. Rahab believed in the one true God. Now, this story is back in Joshua chapter 2, before the walls of Jericho fell down. Joshua sent some spies out to scout out the city. Uh, when they were there secretly spying out the city, they were found out, and a search was made for them in the city. But Rahab took them in and hid them from the king's men. And then while she was hiding them, she explained to the men why she did this. In Joshua chapter 2, you know what she told them? She said, she knows that the Lord God of all things had given Israel this land. She told them how the whole land of Canaan was actually in terror because of what they heard of how God brought them through the Red Sea. God had... Uh, had them conquer the kings of the Amorites, two kings that occupied the territory on the east side of the Jordan. And then Rahab said this in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did they remain any more courage in anyone because of you. And then she said, For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath you see his her face she verbalized it you see rahab had come to faith she believed in the god of israel to be the one true lord god now this is amazing for the people of jericho they're very wicked people they're idolatrous they're depraved they 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 were into a lot of revelry and party and all this they even sacrificed their babies they sacrificed their children and many of the babies were buried in the foundation of that wall but here's Rahab, a prostitute on top of it, saying no one else in the city, right, uh, except for family. Here's the prostitute saying that I believe. And no one else in the city except for family were talking like this and confessing faith in the Lord God of Israel. So first of all, Rahab believed in the one true God. And secondly, Rahab proved her faith by hiding the spies. She risked her life, right, to hide them which means she basically was siding with Israel. She showed her allegiance to God, her belief in God that, that, by hiding the spies there. In a sense, this is how we see Rahab had committed her life over to God. James 2, 25, 26 says, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also ju justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So Rahab showed her faith by her works. So with Rahab, number one, we see Rahab believed in the one true God. Number two, Rahab proved her faith by hiding the spies. And then now the third thing I'm going to show you, Rahab then was saved from destruction. Rahab then was saved from destruction. 
So we know in Joshua chapter 2 that after this, Rahab asked the spies to spare her and her family. And so they made this covenant that she hang a red cord uh, outside her window and anyone else in her family who believed would come to her place that they would be saved from the destruction when the walls fell down. You know what's interesting? Uh, a German uh, excavation between 1907 and 1909 in that area where Jericho was found a short stretch of the lower city wall that did not fall everywhere else. And, and, and if you see other pictures of Jericho, some of the houses were in that embankment part or built right on that first wall. So the portion of that wall still standing that was probably built against a, a wall, it quite possibly could have been Rahab's house. Now, with all of this, make this note now. Rahab did not just sit there and do nothing. And this is what's important. I want you to see this. Her unshakable faith drove her to do something about it. She verbalized her faith, right? She risked her life for her faith by hiding the soldiers. She asked that Israel would spare her life. And she made the effort here because of her unshakable faith. So you see, Rahab did not just think about God, but she did everything she could to pursue the Lord, even against all odds. So this is Rahab's faith. This is the pursuing faith, our heading. And that's what I see here. I like what Wearsby wrote about Rahab. He said, Rahab knew very little spiritual truth but she acted on what she did know. I like that. She acted. She pursued the Lord. She did everything she could. She didn't just sit there, oh, no, this is, oh, no, you know, I'm in fear. Oh, the, truly, everyone knows that the God of heaven is with Israel. Where, what happened to the rest of the city? Did they come in this manner? No, only Rahab and her family did. You see, Rahab, did, she did everything she could to find God and be with God. I believe you know what, when Joshua sent out the spies, God, God was actually sending them to Rahab. The spies were not an actual enemy to Jericho, but divine agents for Rahab. Grace reached out to Rahab because Rahab was pursuing grace. So our last point here this morning is this. Rahab's faith was clearly seen when she did something about it. Rahab's faith was clearly seen when she did something about it. And she hid the spies. She believed in the Lord. She, she talked to them about it. She secured safety for her and her family. Rahab's faith is clearly seen here because she did something about it. The Jewish settlement of Netzarim in the heart of Gaza Strip was a point of much conflict with combative Palestinians for several years. The conflict, conflict was so great that the settlement had to be evacuated in 2005. And I don't know if you see the news about this. There's, you know, Jewish settlements there, you know, in these areas near the border in Gaza Strip or the West Bank and, and even uh, Jerusalem on, on, the, on the southern end there where, where um, they're in a dangerous place. That's where, you know, rockets have been fired and so much uh, incendiary balloons been launched. And, you know, you wonder why these Jewish people would live in that area and bring their families there and live and have schools and, and just be there. 
Well, those who lived in Nazareth, they did was at a great risk also. Why? You know why? Why do they do this? Because they believe it is an important part of establishing the national homeland of the Jews given to them by God. That's why. They believe. A school teacher, Shlomit Ziv, who lived in that Netzerim in 2001, he said this, I don't live where it's comfortable. I live where it's important to live. And I love that. I love that passion because he's doing something about what he believes in. Against all odds, he's doing something about what is most important to him. Now, I was thinking, what would happen if each one of us would stop focusing on what's comfortable or even convenient? What would happen if we really stepped out for Jesus? Let me ask you today, what risks are you taking for Jesus? I think about how nothing stopped Rahab from seeking God out. She risked her life to hide the spies. She even risked her life to, to, to even talk with them. I mean, what if the spies turned around and killed her, right? She took that risk because what she wanted was God and God in her life. That's what drove her. How about us? Are we seeking God out that like that? Are we really going all out for God? Seeking Him as much as you can? I feel the church in general right now has lost that passion. I've seen the church from when I first got saved as a teenager growing up to where, ah, the church is kind of cooling down. Yeah, there's, you know, pockets and there's guys on fire and some churches more than others, but... But in general, it's not like before. And no wonder we see in the, the list of churches in the book of Revelation that there towards the end is that lukewarm church. Well, I'll tell you what. My prayer, and let the people of this church have that pursuing faith. Take note, though, Rahab's unshakable faith, you know what? She was rewarded for it. It brought blessings, you know. Her life was spared. She ended up becoming part of, of the nation. She ended up, you know what, marrying a Jewish man named Salmon. In the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, it tells us that Salmon had, and Rahab, they got married, and you know what? They had a son named Boaz. And Boaz married Ruth from the Old Testament book Ruth. That's that story. Can you believe that? Boaz, his mother, is Rahab. This once prostitute. Well, well, it doesn't end there. Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed, and Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son who is famously known as King David. Isn't that amazing? And from King David's line, remember, the, the Messiah, Jesus, came. So think about this. David's great-great-grandmother is Rahab, which means this Canaanite harlot was saved by grace through faith, who pursued God, became part of the line where the Messiah Jesus came from. Isn't that amazing? You see, when you do something about your faith, God does amazing things. Faith brought that impossible wall to come down. Faith brought an impossible candidate, uh, Canaanite, to be in the line of the Messiah. And you know why? It's because God is a God of the impossible. 
That's his realm. That's where he likes to work. God does the impossible in the lives of people who are willing to give their all to him. To have that unshakable faith. To those who will not give up. Will continue to obey him no matter what it looks like. No matter what it feels like. That they will, those with persevering faith. And those who will never give up seeking God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those with a pursuing faith. I want to be like that. Don't you? Do you? I'll close with what Corey Tim Boom once said. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. So you can't stop someone who has this kind of unshakable faith that keeps persevering, keeps pursuing against all odds. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come before you, Lord, I know many of us, Lord, here feel like we've been failures before you, God. And sometimes, Lord, those failures, Lord, stop us in our tracks. We get discouraged, Lord. We get depressed about it. Lord, and sometimes those are the walls that keep us from moving on. Lord, there are those here today who have been lax in their drive for you. They've been apathetic and coming to church is more of just a religious ritual than a passion to know you and be with you. There are those here facing incredible trials, Lord, whether it's their health, problems at work, uh, relationship issues. And Lord, they barely drag themselves in here, Lord, and they feel like they can't go on. Lord, I pray over myself and everyone here today, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to make this truth of your word alive and powerful like never before. Lord, I pray that no matter what they may be facing, that none of that compares to the hope and the promises we have in you. And help us, Lord, to put into our minds today that you are the God of the impossible, that your realm is this realm of impossible, that that's where we really see you work. I mean, we look in the Bible. When was the greatest incredible miracles done? It was in those times of impossibility. So, Lord, help us to put that into our minds today. Help that truth to stamp out any discouragement, any depression, any panic, any fear, any worry, anything that is stopping us from truly believing in you with this unshakable faith. So, Lord, we ask, God, that right now you would move upon us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.